Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Ooh, man, it was a, what a long night of returns. I mean, you know, those results in Iowa came back at like, oh my God, what hour was it? Oh, 728. Okay. <laughs> what in the world? Todd Belcour joins us, guest co-hosting today. Again, I appreciate, I appreciate you coming in. And uh, I, I do want to say part of um, my inviting Todd, I wanted, there's some people that I know light up Lady B, and you are one of those people as far as oh. making her happy. Because uh, Lady B makes us, yeah, look at she's like. <laughs> we love you, Lady B. We love you, Lady B. Lady B, if you want to, in a, in a bit, if you want to catch up with everybody about what the next steps are in your in your recovery, in uh, in uh, I know that you have a surgery coming. Do you want to join us now, or do you want to give it a little bit? It's up to you. It'll give you a little bit. Absolutely, we're settling in. Uh, Todd Belcor is the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. Mm-hmm. And were you up until the wee hours of seven thirty last <laughs> night with the results in Iowa? I wasn't sure I was going to be able to make it up, <laughs> stay awake that long. You know, I'm getting a little older now, but no, I've. That was kind of open and closed. Uh, as soon as they opened the polls and yeah. everything, it was just pretty much shut down. It says a lot about the country, a lot about Iowa, but this is going to be a dogfight. And I think everyone who thinks otherwise um, needs to spend more time and people who don't necessarily agree with them. And, and they'll see that what loyalty looks like in a different color. Well, that's, that's, a, oh, that's a really good point. How loyalty looks like in a different color, in a, in a red hat, right? <laughs> yes, I mean, and yes, also that. But um, the... The struggle I have is so I've, you know, and look, I know that interviews with people in those communities, whether it's, you know, boots on the ground, like we had, we had some journalists from DePaul on yesterday, some young journalists from uh, that program. And they were telling me the two things that came up with voters in Iowa over and over again was the economy and immigration. So, and what's hard to put together for me intellectually is that inflation, yes, has had an impact. And I think that places like Iowa are going to feel it more intensely when their minimum wage continues to be. Do you know what their minimum wage is in, in Iowa? It's been, it's been the same since 2009. No $7.25. Oh, wow. So, I mean, people are like, well, it's cheaper to live in Iowa. A house will be cheaper. Sure. You yeah. know, property is cheaper. But it's still $5 a gallon. Exactly. Yeah. The the fundamental things that you buy. Exactly. Because remember, everyone was up in arms about eggs. Yeah. Still posting photos that eggs are costing $12, which, by the way, those are your going to the farm, you know, if you, if you can. I saw eggs here in Chicago for two bucks. Yeah. Right. You I mean. Still get you some quali- high quality eggs. <laughs> yeah. They may not be in, you know, field and farm raised and, you know, brown eggs and pastured and all that stuff. Exactly. I think that and a, there was a caller on another show last week, Jose, who uh, is, re, you know, he was talking about, uh, he's, uh, I believe he was Mexican-American, but he was talking about how uh, people who come here from other countries, in particular the Latino population, uh, don't know how our, our system works. And, it, and, and I heard even for Tom Hartman, the afternoon host, I, hmm. I could hear the bell go off in that, I mean, the same thing when, I, when we were running, right, for my, my, my uh, race in 2020, uh, this is a neighborhood with a lot of people from Eastern Europe, a lot of uh, Polish immigrants, a lot of Russian immigrants, and they base a lot of their political views on what they 
believe to be separate from what they're escaping. And for whatever reason, conservative Republican values line up with that more directly without necessarily having any concern for actually how this system works. Huh. You know what I'm saying? And I think the same in Mexico, a very corrupt system. My mom told me that a lot of people that she knows would vote for somebody. The idea for like, I guess the most generalized way to put it is better to go with the enemy, you know, than with the Mm. enemy you don't know. Right. So it's there's a comfort in corruption that you're familiar with than with corruption. You're not. Well, that's interesting. If you, if you already know the like political and personal profile of people who are more of the dictator, authoritarian type, and you say, okay, I run from that, but at least I know what to expect. That's an interesting way to perceive it. Right? <laughs> it's not what I would have guessed, but I mean, the voting pattern does suggest that that's consistent. And I know what you're talking about, parts of Florida, uh, parts even here in these communities. That's definitely something that's worth considering. That's, we run up and get right, Cubans, for yeah. whatever reason, fleeing a dictatorship and then voting for something that can lend itself and lead to a dictatorship for some reason is appealing because maybe because it's more familiar, it's what they expect. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was one of the things that struck me, uh, man, there are some social media accounts. I don't know if you, I I know that you have so, you're so busy. People always like, I don't know how you have time to do whatever. I'm like, I got, I got time to doom scroll. (laughs) Uh, there's a, there's a couple guys that do, they're, uh, they're kind of a comedy group that they're, they're like disruptors. They go to a lot of Trump rallies. Rallies, uh, they'll go to protests. They talk to a lot of Trump supporters. Is your is it is the? Um, do we have every? Oh, I know. I can. See if I, can I got find any of the ones you're talking about. Oh, let me do this real quick. Make sure we can see you. There we go. Uh, is that is that better or up a little bit more? I'm I'm adjusting the. We are our own in studio production crew here. How's that? A little bit better. That's good. Excellent. Um, but uh, the good liars are um, they're on social media and they go and they interview folks. And, uh, and then there's another group interviewing people. And it was a whole barrage. And they asked. This was the question, Todd, in Iowa with red hat after red hat and sometimes an eagle on it. Would you rather have four years with Trump as a dictator or four more years of Biden? Answer after answer. And, and not like just. They repeated, they repeated, I'd rather have Trump as a dictator than Biden as our president. Over huh. and over and over again. And do they put those people on the list? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, where but, the, but they're not unique. But, but I mean, these like. These folks are out here disrupting the country's fabric. And, but, yes. And the thing is, and it's so, you know. We often talk about how we, uh, you know, we don't fall in line. We fall in love as Democrats, right? We want to mm-hmm. Obama. We fell in love. Yeah. You know, Biden is a little bit different, but we, we have to find the things that are, are most important to us. For me, and look, it, it could be a Republican. If there was a Republican that supported women's autonomy, that supported labor rights, that supported equality and protecting people who've been marginalized, people yeah. who want to love who they love and look how they look, like that, then I would be a Republican. If yeah. that, those were the ideals and morals, whichever party does that, That's right. I don't care. It's policy for you, not party all, for sure. Thank you. It's about policy and people, people and policy. And, yeah. and how policy helps people. That's what I want. Well, I mean, you also answer differently to that question whether you want four years of dictatorship. So, you know, <laughs> it's not for everybody. Yeah, if, if, if they said to four years of Biden as a dictator, I would say no. Yeah, exactly. If, you, if my choice is between, if, right, flip that. And no one's going to believe that Trump won't be a dictator. But if the choice was Biden as a dictator or Nikki Haley as a president, yeah. I, I would lean toward that, right? That's right. But I guess there are people who believe that Biden already is a dictator. Uh, I wish that they had probably asked those people, do you know what a dictator is? Yeah. And 
also trying to get a basic understanding of the checks and balances of how the democracy works. I mean, the dictatorship um, prospects is something that we've actually seen in practice based on the way Trump would try to vilify and exact vengeance on people in, in broad daylight, not even like slick political vengeance. And that sort of retribution is the terror that, that you see in other countries. Um, so it's not necessarily, oh, well, the Congress can be a check and, oh, you can trust the, the, the judges and all that. But when you wield enough power to have people assail your own your own country's capital and all that, I mean, that's a different level of concern. So I, I, I hope people eventually can be you know, talked into the position where they can see how this is damaging to the fabric of our country and our democracy, whether or not it's, you know, it's Biden is a dictator just saying, or Trump is a dictator. We don't need dictators in this country. This country is not about that. Well, but that's why the whole idea, and I saw this a couple of years ago, start to bubble up. Have you seen this where people are like, we don't, we don't live in a democracy. We live in a republic. And I think it is important to understand that we live in a republic that is supported by our democracy that's and right. that the power comes from the people. Yeah, I mean, I think the distance people have gone from like basic political education, it's it's that's the reason why that's a, a priority for social changes this year because um, everyday people are being misinformed in in such great deluge from the internet and social media that people don't even know what political offices do and what they can and can't do and what people are actually doing and how to influence one way or the other in a way that best represents your community and I think. As a result of that, um, people are getting more and more disengaged, more and more frustrated, and more and more of the belief that government can't and won't do anything, and that's as dangerous as anything as well. It really is. And and to your point about you know misinformation being out there, social media is a big part of it. I, I have for a decade begged the one billionaire that I know— <laughs> J.B. Pritzker. Uh, I, I begged him when I was at another station, which has a powerful signal, you know, that reaches 38 states in Canada mm-hmm. at the point where I would I was getting phone calls at late at night from Cape Canaveral from a security guard who was driving the grounds and could pick us up in Florida. And uh, I, he asked me because I was on during the day to, to fill in. Mm-hmm. I always had to pre-record his interviews because it was, you know, 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. And he's like, how do we get you on during the day? And I said, not just to get me on during the day, but to continue sharing the values and the story of Democrats by a radio station. Sorry. Yeah. I didn't yell at him like that, but I, I was, it was implied. The yelling was implied. I'm sure you could feel it. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's the thing. Like I, maybe, and maybe that's the, I, maybe it was the misstep with, with the governor was that I just talked to him like he was a guy coming to be on my show. He was coming down the hallway and he goes, well, what kind of questions are you going to ask me? And I said, I'm going to ask you why you're rich. Because I didn't know. Did you yeah. know that it was? <laughs> did you know that his his well, his family had escaped from Nazi Germany from the Nazis, mm. and came to the United States, and they were supposed to go. The family was was uh, supposed to be taken in by a family. I think it was in Iowa, somewhere in Middle America, and the, the family had, or the community had changed their minds. They ended up in Chicago, and his uh, his grandfather went to uh, was it his grandfather's dad. See, this is where I think it's got to be. His dad went to the University of Chicago. Hmm. No, his grandfather went to University of Chicago, got a law degree. His dad got a law degree and decided that he wanted to look for – he and his brother were looking for properties to invest in. One of them was out at LAX, saw a hotel near the airport and thought the idea – this is a very short version of yeah. JB's story uh, – that they should buy hotels near airports. They were cheaper and they and they built them up and, and that's how they became the, the Hyatts. Voila. Uh, voila. And I didn't know that. 
You know, I didn't yeah, know that they had that. billionaire here. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, well, how did they get the initial capital to do that? That's pretty impressive. Right? So... Well, that's, yes. that's why you probably want to get a little a pre-screen list of those questions. I don't do that. I don't do that. People, and it's so funny when people call and ask me, like, what are you going to ask me? I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah. I guess, I guess we'll find out. I mean, I write like a few things down. Joan had a great conversation uh, with a panel, her panel of journalists that she talks to every month. And she talked about how, like, I did this with, with Michael Madigan. When I spoke to Speaker Madigan, I, had, I was up all night. Because mm-hmm. I knew that I needed to thread the needle of at least getting some answers that were substantial. Yeah. And also knowing that I couldn't, I needed to get as much time out of him as possible so people could actually hear his voice. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, you know, but the part of interviewing somebody like that is you base your, and as Joan explained earlier, you have your questions, but it all comes from listening. Mm-hmm. And the one from Speaker Madigan that caught me was I asked him what he thought, what he hoped his legacy would be. And he said, uh, being the father to his children, which is great. That's your family's legacy. But you have been the most powerful and yeah. longest serving speaker in the history of the United States. Yeah. What is your legacy to the people of Illinois? Right. So that's mm-hmm. but but um, anyway, going back to. Again, though, hearing Speaker Madigan's voice to me was important. Hearing these stories, having these conversations is important. There is a point where we're doing it inside our bubble, and that's why we try to have these conversations with social change Mm -hmm. to call the action. Because we are in somewhat a place where we have put in a lot of protections for people. We have, to the best of our ability, elected those that reflect our values as closely as possible. It's Iowa they're not hearing any of these conversations and yet we have conservative station after conservative station in chicago itself yeah with not much less the rest of the state of illinois yeah not only that even the stations are maybe historically maybe more middle of the road there's more and more conservative commentators on those stations as well yeah uh particularly in the minority stations kind of like not uh, not getting into names of them but it's becoming more of a kind of in vogue thing right and i think it's great to have counterpoints and other opinions and, and perspectives and all that, but I think it's really important that make sure the facts matter. So no matter what the perspective is, that's at least based on the same set of facts so people can get the true understanding of what the actual society is dealing with, what actual communities are dealing with, what actually problems are composed of versus just all spin all day. Ugh. Let's take a break here and we'll continue our conversation. We're in studio with Todd Belcor. He's the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. By the way, also he has his degree in law. So he has, he has been a practicing attorney and has taught law. So, I mean, that's just more experience than I have an understanding of the law than I do. When I have questions, I ask Todd. But believe me, I have asked Todd. Let's take a quick break here and continue our conversation and take your calls and text 773-763-9278. That's the number to call or text us. And we want to thank our sponsors. Speaking of, you know, sharing points of view and these stories and talking about the facts that matter, I want to thank our sponsors, Monaco Brewing Company. We checked in with Kirk last week, giving us an update. Hopefully his tasting room in Madison. Road trip. Madison, yeah, uh, his tap room. Uh, yep, he's going to be opening. Uh, hopefully early February. So uh, you save the date on that. He also, uh, his pack is challenging Trump's ability to be on the primary ballot in Wisconsin. So we'll follow those journeys. Go to ManakwaBrewingCompany.com. Follow him on Facebook. You'll always get a good laugh out of the some of the horrible reviews he gets from people who'd never actually tasted the beer. They just hate him. So check out his Facebook page as well as Instagram. Thank you to Warren Price from European U.S. Collision Center, a division of Technocraft over at 4080 North Broadway. Make sure that you visit his website and have 
all the information you need in the event that you are in a fender bender. Always make sure that you are safe before you get the information from the other driver. Also want to thank our friends at Kids Above All. Go to kidsaboveall.org and find out how you can support their mission to keep children happy, healthy, and safe. More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. The Santita Jackson Show. We need to understand what the folkways and mores are of a country before we go. I think because America has been the country with the biggest stick for more than 100 years, there's a certain incredulousness with which we react when we are arrested in these other countries. When they have laws that we unknowingly or knowingly flout or break, we're not able to just walk away. The Santita Jackson Show. Weekday mornings at 6 on WCPT 820. Hey, Google, play WCPT. Streaming Chicago's progressive talk from TuneIn. Hey there, it's your guy, Warren Price, from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200. That's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Basket on WCPT 820. I have to uh, go ahead and make a general statement uh, for... Um, for my producer, Lady B, for my husband, and for Jerry. Anyone who needs to contact me during the show, uh, I forgot my phone. That's the first time. <laughs> I, for- I forgot my phone. So, Lady B, if you need to uh, just jump on the air if you need to tell me anything or text it in our box over here. Uh, so that's an on-air production meeting there, Todd Belcour. There you go. <laughs> Do it again. But People can see how the sausage happens around here. See what happens with two, uh, two hours of not having a phone. She starts shaking. Uh, let's get to Jim in Chicago where you're on with me and Todd Belcour, the executive Jim. director and uh, co-founder of Social Chain, what's on your mind, Jim? Good evening from Frostbite Falls, Dad and Patty. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I was so delighted to see uh, Ramaswamy finally drop out of the race. Because in my mind, I think he's the prototype of the, of the modern Republican, going to be running for years to come. Because he has an interpretation of the Constitution. He alone, after 250 years, we've had Three party, actually, yeah, three party. We've got the Whigs, the Know Nothings, the Republicans, and the Democrats have been around forever. But he has the only one who can interpret the Constitution. And the Republicans are insisting they're the only party who can interpret the Constitution, this archaic uh, document from 250 years ago. And as long as they go along with that nonsense, uh, we're going to be at odds with them. You've got Hillsdale College, you've got uh, Republican Radio, you've got uh, Fox News. They claim they're the only ones who can interpret the Constitution of the United States. And I'm afraid that we've had hundreds of years of people uh, giving the old college try of interpreting the, the Constitution. And it'll continue for the next couple hundred years unless Trump gets elected. Anyway, what do you got to say? Yeah, I, I think, and, and we've talked about this before, uh, and even when I started, you know, the, what makes me a Democrat is that they most closely reflect my values of what I want to see in my community, in my in my society, and uh, in, in that, again, labor rights, women's autonomy, uh, protecting those who've been marginalized, and, uh, you know, and, and look, and so those are some of the values, Just that's just my short list, the environment, all those things. What makes me a progressive is I'm willing 
willing to take new information and base my opinion constantly evolving. There's nothing that I that I feel that I'm the expert or the, I'm, that I'm the only one that can do anything or that I have the absolute knowledge uh, into into people's hearts, into how they should live. Uh, none of those things. I just yeah. I don't but, except but, for tolerance but, but, and love. Yeah. Danny, what in God's name does anybody say this is a republic or this is whatever they want to call it? Right. This is the United States of America. It is what we interpret to be. Uh, it, to me, I'm sure the immigrants could probably give you a better chapter and verse on the uh, Constitution than any of these nuts on the radio could do because they actually have to study it verbatim and, and, re, and recite some of it to get citizenship. But in my mind, the vote is sacrosanct, and when you lose an election, you concede, and that's the way our country works, and and that's the way it should always work. I mean, if it doesn't work that way, then we're we're not in America, not in the United States of America anymore. Anyway, thanks, Todd. thanks, Patty. Go ahead, Todd. You can respond. No, no, Jim is hitting it on the head. I think. We've gotten so far away from even just reading the plain language of anything, uh, whether it be statutes, whether it be the Constitution, and people are relying on interpretations of interpretations. It's like ends up being a game of telephone that's so far removed from what it actually says on, on the living paper. So I, I think it's important that Jim brings up the whole point that um, people have enshrined a, a made-up version of the Constitution uh, in terms of how it's interpreted and how it's to be reflected upon that really – makes it impossible to have real serious conversations about how it's interpreted and how we should move forward as a country to make sure everyone is protected under the same uh, magnificent document. So I do think as whether you're a lawyer or not, I mean, everyone can read it. Everyone can understand it. (laughs) So I think um, for TV shows to make it seem like um, people don't have the ability or the expertise to just understand very, very clear sentences that are in there. I mean, there are some things where there's wiggle room, but that's where the courts are and all that stuff. So you're right, Jim, to point that out. And it's unfortunate that we've gotten so far from uh, actually reading things that we just rely on people and hope they're telling us the truth and espouse it as if it's the truth, even if it's not. Well, it's it's remarkable to me. And, and I'm sure at some point in my life, it was my view as a teenager, maybe into my 20s, that we are a Christian country. First of all, I grew up in this neighborhood, Todd, <laughs> much more than Christians. Nobody, I n- never knew anyone who was Muslim. I sort of, I have relatives who were Jewish, but I didn't really know much about that. In my house, my father did not have pleasant things to say about people of other religions, of other color, of other uh, backgrounds. And uh, so, uh, again, this goes to like, but I didn't grow up thinking what I believe must be the full reality and truth. And do you know how hard it is to convince people that our constitution does not at any point ever refer to God? Do you know how hard that is to convince people of? I I, I shouldn't have to convince you. Here you go. Find it for me. Find find it for me. Well, I I think people blend, whether it be the Pledge of Allegiance or, you know, Bill of Rights or whatever it may be. And Mm -hmm. I think that's why we have to kind of get back to the roots of political education. That's why I mentioned that's a priority for us this year. And teaching youth and um, some of our community members who want to be more involved, just the basic levers and the facts regarding to our government, who to talk to regarding to what and yes. how to organize effectively your community members to make sure that the majority rules and the stuff that matters most in the communities. 
I uh, before we go to the break, and we have more phone calls coming in, uh, 773-763-9278. I, I'm going to go to the break because I want to make sure our next caller and anyone who calls in has uh, some time, so I'm not rushing them. But uh, the other thing, I was uh, texting Joan during her show because her guests were talking. There was a journalism panel, and mm-hmm. uh, they were talking about how we're tired of we, – we, even what we're talking about is that you know, we struggle to want to have a conversation with people and say, first of all, dictatorship, bad. Uh, God, not in the Constitution, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're talking about how we they keep sending reporters into red states or where you know, you know, send red centric states, mm-hmm. um, and asking people like, why do you, you know, what what is it about Trump? What do you, you know, constantly trying to understand the Republican voter, and you're not sending them into Michigan where things have changed significantly, and talking to Democratic voters, Democrats, and saying, you know, what, what, you know, what made you decide to vote this way, or what, what yeah. do you think about the changes that have happened, that kind of stuff. And so she was saying, they were laughing because they were saying that, you know, what diner is it going to be today? MSNBC sent someone to a bowling alley. And I was like, oh, my God. I mean, it was just so, it's almost condescending. Yeah. But what made me crazy, we'll talk about this when we come back because I'm going to tease this. A, a woman said, uh, and first of all, she cussed on the air. And I loved her shirt. She said, distracted by doggies. And I thought it was going to be like this whole right wing conversation. And she goes, oh, I'm a liberal. And she like used a cuss word. And uh, I'm as far left as you can get. And then the reporter asked her, so you're going to vote for Biden? She goes, no, I think I'm going to vote for Nikki Haley. And no follow up question. She said, so, I mean, because she said that uh, Biden's too old, that we need more women, and uh, and he, she didn't like his position in Israel. So let's talk about that when we come back. That Here's a liberal in New Hampshire who says she is voting for Nikki Haley because Biden is too old, Biden's position in Israel, and we need young people and more women. So I want to talk about that when we come back because I had, I had a lot of follow-up questions yeah. to that. More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Give us a call if you want, 773-763-9278. You can text to the same number. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Hi, folks. I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Provisions Uptown Chicago and R&J Wine and Spirits in Glenview, as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee, where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820. I am so thrilled to have in studio with us Todd Belcourt. <laughs> well, not only one of my very good friends who has uh, been there to help me through some rough times in my life, he's also helped so many people. Uh, he is the executive director and the co-founder of Social Change. I've made him a promise, and I and I today I was like furiously trying to do some more writing because my goal is to have something in the uh, the International Change Fest Film Festival coming up. Uh, when is the when do submissions open? They're open now. Ah. Yeah. Uh, when do they close? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a better question. They close at the end of July, so okay. definitely right. get cracking. I, can, I, can I know you've yeah. got all the content. Just I think we get, get this, it out there. I can get this done. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, it's a lot of pressure. Okay, July, mm-hmm. but they're open now. Okay, 
Yes. Oh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've There's, already got about I'm, 50 submissions. I'm <laughs> trying to save democracy here, Todd. That's right. That's right. Well, you better maybe, juggle both maybe, of those balls Maybe 2024. Maybe we've... Maybe we've <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, so these are really important conversations to have. Before mm-hmm. I go to the calls, I, I uh, was telling Todd that I was checking our text screen, and I apparently said 515 out loud because that's when we got a text. Mm. Uh, so from our friend Mary, uh, she's asking about our signal and uh, the fact that it gets a little staticky when it gets dark, especially in the wintertime. Once we once it, the sun goes down, our signal, it, we because there's a pre-existing uh, lease on the signal, like the, the we, we, there's a station in Texas, I want to say Dallas, okay. and sadly, a conservative talk station. So we have to, uh, we can't have ours at full blast to interfere with theirs. So oh. ours, by the sunshine gets, by the lack of sunshine gets weaker. So I apologize. Like one of the antennas was like solar powered or something. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be, that yeah. would be exactly Just the kind of station we are. Right? Um, so I'm trying, if there's any way, Mary, for you to, so the, the tune in app is free on your phone, on your laptop. You can also listen. I know it sucks. A lot of people don't like to, to do digital, digital listening, yeah. but heartlandsignal.com and uh, just go to www.heartlandsignal.com Landsignal.com might have been too many W's. It's just three. Uh, but triple W, um, heartlandsignal.com. I know that, uh, by the way, she says, uh, it, she also wants to be able to hear devil's advocates. Uh, mm. By the way, I love Todd. I love what he does. And his voice, voice is so th- soothing. I was thinking about that in the first segment. I'm like, with everything that's crazy going on in the world, uh, <laughs> I, it, I think it's helpful. Very, very kind of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> See, I, 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 On to Nikki Haley. <laughs> Lean into it. Yeah. Just lean into it. Uh, because we need to see... We need, the, there was another story on the AP, and I think during Joan's show, about how uh, international leaders are concerned about our elections. Mm-hmm. And some leaders are saying, look, you know, we probably... We just have to assume that we can't count on the United States. And for a lot of Republicans, that probably sounds like, good, don't bother us. Only what's the... And conversely, we can't rely on them. Yeah. We assume with a tremendous amount of hubris that we'll never need anybody else in the world. That's right. I mean, anytime you're weakening your status abroad and how you're seen as a, not only as a partner, but an ally, I mean, who's going to rush to help when, when that time comes? And there's no reason to wait to, to strengthen those relationships to ensure that they're already in place when that time eventually will come. So it's, it's kind of ridiculous that not have enough foresight to recognize that even as we are as powerful as country we are, we need allies. We need support all over the world. And, um, that's when you talk about things like Nikki Haley's position in, in the Middle East versus, you know, President Biden's and yeah. all that. Uh, those distinctions really matter uh, because they are not only determined, you know, how we're seen across the world, but, um, you know, who lives and who dies and, you know, how we decide to apportion resources and missiles and all sorts of things. So people really have to pay close attention to that. I think you have to also pay close attention to your own biases as an individual. I mean, do you lean a particular way just because of the way someone appears, what the, how they look, or their their gender? Um, as I learned a long time ago, that not, not all skin folk are kin folk. So just because they share a hue with you or maybe share a gender does not mean they care about the same things you care about or care about you or your family. So it's really important to go beyond just what you see and maybe the letter next to people's names and look a little deeper to look at the policies that they're supporting and what they'll actually do if they're able to attain the power and what they've done historically with the power they've had to get a better idea um, before you really get led astray. I agree with that. Before I get to our call, because, you know, when we worked in Springfield, I had some of my favorites on the other side of the aisle, uh, Representative Steve Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Batnick, Representative Batnick, mm-hmm. my, our, our numbers wonk, uh, General Harris. 
Yeah. Uh, these are these are folks that, uh, and especially Harris and uh, um, Anderson, who stepped up when the time came to make sure we didn't go over that financial cliff yeah. with uh, the impasse, the budget impasse. So uh, I agree, and I uh, it's there. Uh, on the other hand, guys like Sandak. Anyway, I'm not going <laughs> to get into it. Dave from Hoffman Estates, thank you for being patient. Dave. As I wanted to make sure we have a little bit of room to not rush you out of the the segment. How's it going, Dave? What's on your mind? Well, hey, Patty, hey, Todd. Hey. Yeah, the Lady B and I were, for, before I get into what I had, we're talking about like when you guys were saying on the, the pay scale in Iowa, you know, about yep. seven fifty an hour. And I, and I mentioned the Lady B, and perhaps maybe you and Todd can recall. You remember when George W. Bush was in? And you had the same thing. You had people that, you know, didn't have a pot to, you know, pee in and that window to throw it out of. But they all thought that if they were Republican, they were going to be rich. They were going to be under that big tent when they weren't good enough to go in the parking lot. And yeah. um, and remember, that's when Bush had that one time with his favorite. He said, this, my favorite people to have and to have more. Well, you know, this guy is taking it worse. But uh, I was mentioning that, too, that um, <clears throat> with with that election there, or that caucus, rather, I should say, where the righties and that were all throwing about, you know, that, the, like, making it seem like there's some mandate when there was not that many, in a sense, you know, percentage-wise. But So I did a look at the demographics. Well, the white per, alone percent in Iowa, it's like somewhere between 89.8 to 84.4%. And then black or African-American alone percent was... Depending which one you read, it said like 4.4% to 3.66. Asian alone was 2.8 to either 2.47. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, like, I'm, I'm the American Indian or uh, Alaska Native alone was like 0.6 tenths of a percent. And, and then they had uh, for Hispanic, like, you guys had one time said, or something consider white. They said, I saw white, they said, a Hispanic. They had 3.57%. And then the two other ones, it says, we're at 2.62. So, I mean, and like you had said earlier, too, that uh, like with the Eastern Europeans or whatever, and that, that uh, you know, they kind of, whatever, vote, you know. The, they seem to be the drawn to, a, to a, conservative a, values. Yep. Yes. And, you know, they just thought you might find that interesting with the uh, the percentage, you know, at, Main majority white. I mean, and like if they did like with the Eastern Europeans, like you say, well, who else were they going to vote for? You know, and they believe that you know junk that he talks and that, and, and um, you probably get off. Do you remember back when COVID was? It was Iowa where those bosses were taking bets. Yeah, the meatpacking plants. They were taking mm-hmm. bets as to yeah how many people would get sick port, and how many right. would die. Yep. Wow. Yeah, at that Tyson pork plant. That mm-hmm. time. And you know, so I just well, that's I'd, by the way where a lot of people most likely earn seven dollars and twenty five cents to put yeah. their lives on the line. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Dave. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Dave. Stay warm. You too. Good night. Speaking of, uh, you know. Horrible management in that case, uh, that meatpacking company. Uh, 
Have you seen this video? You know, a lot of uh, companies are trying to figure out how to get more people back into the office. And I, I think that we all agree that hybrid for people who can have those types of jobs, it's permanent. You know, yeah. I, I think that it just productivity has not decreased. I think that some people are, people are happier not being in traffic on their commute, mm-hmm. uh, able, and if, like for everybody who says that, you know, parents need to be more present, do you know how much easier it is to be available for your kids when you're not spending an hour, hour and a half commuting back and forth? Yeah, you know, absolutely. all the, all, I mean, like there's a balance. But there's a company called, do you ever go to WebMD? You know, it's like a, mm-hmm. you know, did you, have you seen the video? No. Oh my God. It is the worst. But basically, so it's like their CEO or some executive saying, you know, uh, we, we did a great job during the, like, you know, but we need, we, we're better together. We need you back in the office, right? It's an online and, platform. Uh, not only that, but like he's, he's not even in the office. He's in front of a green screen of an empty office. And, and by the end of it, and it, it's like basically shaming the, the employees and then saying, we're not asking, we're required, like we're informing you. This is not a negotiation. Like it's a, the worst Tone deaf video uh, I've I've ever seen, and uh, and so now I've been trying to find. There's alternatives to WebMD, and I'm going to yeah. go into those. <laughs> yeah, like Google. I mean, WebMD it has some supporting documentation, but nothing you can't find anywhere else. So exactly, I was like, what? It's you have to take. I'll, I'll send you. A, well, I can't. Please. I can't text it to you because I don't have my phone. Yeah. But uh, I will send it to you. It is the. I will watch it during the break in a few minutes. Uh, but it's just tone deaf. And it, but it is also like the disparity between, I mean, that distance between the very wealthy and just even working class. You know, we are not addressing poverty. I was looking. I was telling you that uh, that in Iowa they make seven dollars and twenty five cents. Mm-hmm. The states that continue to have minimum wages under ten dollars also have the highest child poverty rates, and have electeds that want to withhold school lunches, like the governor of Iowa. Yeah. Giving her staff, people in her office and, and pay raises, like mm-hmm. astronomical pay raises, and then not wanting to feed kids at lunchtime, which for some, for many, it's their most nutritious meal of the day. Yeah. And only often. And I think yeah. um, Dave brought up a, a bunch of good points. I mean, going through the demographics is important because that's what made uh, President Obama's ascension so transformative is that when he won the Iowa, like, wait a second, that's, that's all white folks. How is he doing that? Uh, because generally, you know, white men vote for white men, white women, uh, about half and half vote for women versus men. So, you know, people do lean based on how they identify. That's why it's so important what we said just a bit ago about making sure that you don't just look at race or don't just look at gender. Don't look at the letter next to anyone's name to determine your vote. you got to dig a little deeper and yeah. figure out where they stand on things. Um, because you'll find that there's actually quite a bit of difference between even the Republican candidates. Uh, a lot of them are trying to figure out how they can get as close to Trump supporters without getting close to Trump. That's that's it's kind of the the dance of the whole uh, primary. But um, there are enough differences where you know you got to go beyond just saying I want a woman, I want a man, I want someone young, I want someone older. You need to look for who's going to fight for you. I my husband when we were dating, I, I I'm not sure how close he was to ending the relationship. <laughs> When, because uh, I, up until, I would say my line of demarcation of being solidly a Democrat was when they stopped the count in Florida. When I saw, uh-huh. when, when that unfolded, I was like, oh, this is shady. 
as yeah. hell. Yeah. And I, but I, before because I had I, if John McCain had made it to the general election against Al Gore, mm-hmm. it would have. I was still not. I was still making up my mind mm-hmm. right between John McCain at the time. If you think of John McCain in two thousand, oh, yeah. right? No, for sure. But before that, why, well, Steve? Uh, I remember this. We were we were living in a very small apartment in Lincoln Square, and I was like, you know, this Elizabeth Dole sounds like she's got some good ideas. And he was like, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I remember him like walking out. Speak. I can't. I so I don't think he. Re- I mean, because I used to, I used to vote split tickets. I would vote for, I would vote based on, you know, what somebody's story was, where they came from, what their policy was. Because but also in the nineties, we weren't as a hardcore. Like the, that's right. I would say the 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 mass shootings accelerated the the gun violence, the NRA and their power over politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of being a single issue voter wasn't as solidified, at least. I mean, and I only had a couple of elections before I went, oh, no, 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 I can't. And again, if the Democrats fall back on, on their, you know, d- d- betray yeah. what I believe in, then I will leave that party, too. No, for sure. I mean, I mean you think of, you know, H.W. Walker, he would be eaten alive in today's Republican oh my Party. God. You know, it's a lot of the policies that were, uh, you know, frontline policies for Republicans have have been adopted by a Democrat sense. So it's, you know, when you think about what progress means, you mentioned it already, it's not necessarily assuming one party has all the best ideas. It's recognizing as we evolve as a society, we have to be thoughtful and think outside the box to make sure we're responding to these modern problems. And um, no party has a monopoly on the best ideas, but it's uh, what's happening more and more just because a particular party suggests this idea, the other party automatically may demonize it. Right. Uh, and that's a real problem because that, that really refuses to give us the, the basic <laughs> basic platform for us to have good faith negotiations and agreements that we can, you know, hold hands and, and tell people that we can do things together. Um, and you've got someone who's like, you know, incendiary person at the top of the ticket like Trump. It's, um, even though he does have some bipartisan background, but he'll never really praise that. He'll never even talk about it. He'll just rather throw bombs rather than show that the country how important it is to work together. Exactly. Let's take a break here. We'll continue our conversation. I've got a couple of callers on hold. Thank you for your patience. We are in studio with Todd Belcor. He's the co-founder and executive director of Social Change. We want to catch up with him on the events for Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday yesterday. And uh, we'll continue our conversation in a moment. The number to call is 773-763-9278. More in a moment. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez. There's so much that goes on behind closed doors. On WCPT 820. That's why we keep our door open. I don't know what that means, but uh, we keep the conversations <laughs> flowing here. We're in studio with Todd Belcor. He is the executive director of Social Change and co-founder. I'm your host, Patty Vasquez, and thrilled to open up our phone lines again. We've got Judy on and Niles. I like any Judy. text. I like any te- any line that says uh, Judy agrees with you. I, any, <laughs> I don't know if it's me or Todd, but go ahead, Judy. What's on your mind? Yeah, well, oh my gosh, can I have the rest of the hour of all hours? Because I have so many, I'll, but I'll pick one. I'm going to answer that lady in New Hampshire. Okay, let me, yes, let me. I would like a few more women in, but then you got to be careful. You don't want another green or that theater slut, Bobert. Wow, <laughs> With, Judy, not pulling any punches. <laughs> Todd wasn't sure if that word was okay, but yeah, I, Judy, Judy earned the right to say uh, that. <laughs> she said it with confidence. I can, I, I'm, an, I'm an old lady. I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, go ahead. <laughs> so well yes. and my god, can you imagine if you were the person sitting behind her or something and I ugh 
<laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, at least here's the thing. Like, okay, maybe I'm sharing too much information. I'm just saying maybe before <laughs> I started dating my husband, because my husband's not that kind of guy. Uh, maybe I was that kind of girl. But I always had like a coat. <laughs> Just, like, it doesn't, and there weren't even cameras in the 90s in theaters. Oh, my God. There's so many things I shouldn't oh, be saying oh in the no. air right now. You know, when, when you she and I stuck in the back of the theater, there yeah. were cameras. And- <laughs> right. But you you were discreet. And we weren't vaping or smoking. Well, obviously, we weren't vaping in the 90s. But I wasn't, like, lighting up a cigarette when I was done. Yeah. I, I was... <laughs> <laughs> too much information, but no, we at least had the the. You know, I wasn't loud and stuff like that. Anyway, Judy, yes, you were talking about the the, the theater hoe, uh, Lauren Bobert. Yes, and I, you know, we have uh, to quote Mitt Romney. We have we have folders full of women, many many women that are super duper. Uh, Liz is getting a little old, but I mean, we got that Katie in California. She's fabulous. Katie Porter, She's so smart. Yes, and she could she could be a stand up comic. That lady's funny. Absolutely, oh, I agree. I I would elect her anything. So you know we we've got the we've got the right women if they put them up, and and I most certainly would vote for them. Gretchen yes. Whitmer, governor of Michigan, is fantastic. Yes, in fact, there's a whole bunch of ladies in Michigan that. The, yeah. and they're tough. I mean, they they came in when people were threatening them. Yeah, and they kept to the, stuck to their guns, and you know, I I really admire them. I agree. I agree, Judy. Yes, and uh, you don't you don't have to agree with me. I agree with you. <laughs> it's a, it's going to be agreed with. Thank you, Judy. I agree Thank with you, I agree with Todd's mother. That's a lovely name. That's my husband's name. You know. Oh, oh that's right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank we you, have Judy. another Todd. Okay. <laughs> have a great evening. I'll save all the hundred other things that I have <laughs> for another time. Let somebody else. All right. Dynamo right. Dave we wants to jump in. Thank you. thank you, Judy. Thank you for that. Bye-bye. Thank you for the laugh, too. Hey, Dynamo Dave, what's on your mind? Oh, hey, a couple things. Uh, one, uh, welcome back to Lady and Scholar B. Yes. And, uh, yes. and also, I'm really enjoying seeing your guests, and I just want to find out. Uh, what both of you think? You should one uh, vote. Their, uh, should one uh, vote for the lesser of two evils, or should one vote their hopes and not their fears? Oh, interesting. Well, hmm. I think that's important of the conversation of rank choice voting and things like that. So you can actually do both. Um, but in this instance of the political science of it, is just too overpowering to ignore. I mean, if you know that a candidate's polling at 3% and other candidates are polling at 45 and 45 respectively, uh, that vote for the 3% candidate, whatever you think is more likely to help in terms of the other two candidates will be the outcome. So if, you, if you're looking at Jill Stein or something like that or Cornell West and uh, you recognize that you would otherwise be voting for President Biden, you have to, be, you have to live with that. Uh, you have to be aware of that and be conscious of that. I know uh, people who support it, whether it be Bernie or Mitt Romney or whatever, um, you know, when the writing candidates, you know, Governor Huntsman or whatever it may be, uh, recognize the importance of not just your vote, but the influence you have on other people's votes and, and figure out what's worth the risk. Um, because the, the lesser two evils is a real, there's a real significant difference between the difference between the two evils oftentimes. And you want to make sure you're doing as little harm as possible, given the political process until we have enough power to do as much good as possible. So, uh, do you guys have, uh, some rank? 
first voting in the Chicagoland area. I know we got it in Minneapolis proper. Um, Evanston, Illinois, is the only, I believe, the only municipality in the state of Illinois that currently has ranked choice voting, and they have not implemented it. I believe it's 2025 will be the next election that they use that. Okay. Yeah, no, that should be, yeah, I, I agree with the, your guest. That should be mandatory across the land, ranked choice voting. I think it's excellent. They, they have that out in Europe, right? They have it in Ireland and Australia, and I do think that, and this is to the point about third-party candidates, and it's really, you know, the Green Party, the no-name, any other libertarians, libertarians. you know, I know that the Green Party has, you know, as its core ideas and ideals that uh, I do, I am drawn to. I just want to know what they're doing in between presidential elections, except for being spoilers when the time comes. They should be championing ranked choice voting to even ever have a foothold in our political system. I, any of them, no name libertarians, this is what they should be really boots on the ground getting, you know, do you want to vote for someone who, like me, that reflects your values, or do you want to continue down the same path of corporate dollars having a lot of money, special interests having yeah. more influence? You know, that I, that's, if you want to be disruptive, rather than disrupting our d- democracy, I mean, and, and it, it is reflective of our democracy to be able to run and we can have the choice to vote for them, but they are also hobbling us in some ways. They have, they did in 2007. 16, you know, because I think it was Jill Stein, the vote, if, if assuming the people who voted for Jill Stein would have voted for Hillary Clinton, things would have been different. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, Mother Jones did a big uh, thing in all those, those uh, what do you call swing states, mm-hmm. you know, places like Wisconsin. Um, there was many voters who happened to be of uh, a different pigmentation than the dominant the majority who couldn't vote, you know, they were like, right. they, they required too many things to prove that they were citizens to be able to vote. And that's really what, uh, according to this Mother Jones article, and that, that and in Pennsylvania as well, is what things that flipped it over to, you know, who. And obviously she won uh, the popular vote, which, you know, gets back to the whole nonsense of this electoral college which should, you know, remnant from slavery days. Um, uh, do we know how far along we are in, in uh, the reform of the Electoral College? How many states is uh, uh, backing from a, a constitutional amendment? Not that, I, not that I'm aware of. Yeah. I, 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 it pops up occasionally, right, Todd? Even further behind than we are in the gerrymandering fight. I mean, um, right now we can't even get uh, states to agree that we should let the people determine their politicians, not the politicians determine their politicians. So I think um, you're right. Mm -hmm. I mean, to have something as critical as having a democracy that doesn't actually allow the majority of people to choose uh, who your president Mm -hmm. is, it just doesn't make sense. But it's been the process for so long and the parties are so committed to it and they make so many deals regarding how to maintain it and you know, making that a third rail that it is hard to imagine that it changes anytime soon, but it absolutely needs to. So it can better reflect the will of the people. Well, and don't you think at, at a certain level, okay, at the federal level, the, the two party system, they're really, uh, corporations. I can't, not true for at the local level, but you remember when, uh, uh, Clinton, defeated Sanders and the whole primary thing back in 2016. Mm-hmm. And then he had a lawsuit against the Democratic Party saying, hey, you follow your own rules in, a, in the nomination of the president. Mm-hmm. And their defense in court was, uh, hey, you're, 
we play by our own rules. We're a corporation. We're a corporation. We can decide whatever you want to do. Well, right there, they're saying their party is not uh, actually, it's not really a party. It's a corporation. They should be calling themselves the Democratic Corporation, the Republican Corporation. Yeah. You're spot on. I can't, Dynamo. I can't argue with you, Dynamo, Dave. Thank Dynamo you. for Take a reason. For sure. <laughs> You're welcome. I wouldn't want to argue with either of you. You're too smart for me. Uh, stop. I just Google fast. That's all. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Oh, Thank you, okay. Dave. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Uh, yep, I know. I, I know that I threw the Nikki Haley thing out the last moment uh, in the last half hour. So we'll come back to that as well as this in that 2016 election. And I feel somewhat responsible for this because at my previous radio station, as I mentioned, we were carried in 38 states and Canada. And mm-hmm. Canada is not the issue here, but. Uh, I, I remember people calling and just saying they couldn't vote for Hillary. They couldn't do it. And they they just were not going to bother going out to vote at all. And I go, okay, I get it. Go vote if you absolutely have to. Don't then don't vote for president. Just vote for your local electeds. At least protect that part of your community and and you know what's going on in, in your state. Do you know how many people didn't vote for president across the country? How many people went to vote but left that part empty in 2016? 1.7 million I was about to say people. Million. Wow, it's a lot, and it's. It's That's one in fifty. Changer. It's yeah. a game changer. Sure. And in in Michigan, where she lost by about eighteen thousand or whatever, it was twenty thousand people. About twenty thousand people. Yeah. It's not my fault, Todd. I told them to go vote. They were going to go hey, vote. Appreciate you confessing on the air. <laughs> Let's take. And those Canadians too. They're rolling it. <laughs> Let's take a break. We'll continue. We're checking with Lady B when we come back. To we're in studio with Todd Belcour, executive director and co-founder of Social Change. More after this on the Heartland Signal, WCPT eight twenty a.m. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Thank you so much for joining us as we drive it home. I am your host, Patty Vasquez, and hello to our friends listening in Minneapolis, St. Paul, KTNF, 950 AM. Coming up at 630, we're going to check in with one of your hosts on the weekends. We're going to talk to JP about his show, uh, This Queer Book, I Saved My Life. And uh, in studio, we have Todd Belcour. He is the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. I know that yesterday on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, you had uh, events here in Chicago. And uh, tell us a little bit about, I know you were in Georgia yeah. and also we're organizing events right here at home. Yeah, I mean, Martin Luther King's an extremely busy time of the year for all of our service organizations, folks who are committed to fighting for freedom. And we're, of course, a part of a large cadre of organizations that do that. And uh, we had events that are taking place in, in four states. But uh, let's focus on Illinois being where we are. Um, we had a free legal clinic where people want to clear their record. I mean, as we talk about Dr. King fighting for freedom, we want to make sure people can be closer to being free by removing the vestiges of the chains of their old record from um, their wrists, their arms, or their trajectory as a, a person in their family. And then we also had, um, in partnership with Gifts from Liam and other partners at Healthy Hood and things like that, we had free diapers for community members who need some for their, for their little ones and also free, fresh, healthy food. Um, recognizing that, you know, in this time when it's this cold, you, you don't want people to come out day after day for multiple events and mul- over a course of multiple days. You want to have one-stop shops, and uh, you also want to have events that are responsive to the needs of the people. And uh, if you know that people are hungry, um, you know, we're not going to be responsible in not doing everything we can to respond to that. We know people need legal assistance. We're going to do everything we can to respond to that. So um, 
that's just how we approach all of our direct service to make sure it's maximizing the impact that we can have in a person's life and hopefully help them with that fork in the road um, make the right decision or be in a position to make the right decision so they can forever change not only their lives but their children's lives and generations to come. What do you see as uh, things that we can do or, or the path forward? Because we continue to be addressing the the aftermath of disenfranchisement, disinvestment in communities. Uh, let's use Chicago as an example because it's what I know the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's where I've grown up. And I've, I, even as I was telling the story yesterday, even in grade school, I was very aware that I, I lived a very different life from the, the kids who were bused here from the west and south sides of the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, you know, I got to an argument with a police officer. You know, because uh, a few about ten years ago uh, at North Avenue Beach, somebody had said, "Meet us at the beach. We're gonna have a party." And then fights broke out. Yeah. And uh, and he's like, "Yeah, it happened summer after summer." And I go, "And so you don't want us to fund programs in neighborhoods? Imagine if we had started funding after school programs or summer programs, working with the park district, working with uh, with five hundred one c threes, working with you know maybe getting jobs. If we had done that ten years ago." Isn't it possible we could have had an impact and somewhat circumvented this happening over and over again? Absolutely. And that's just for the kids. And when you talk about you know food, we talk about housing and employment, and we continue to not want to make those investments. And it's clear. I mean, that's one thing that uh, Mary Johnson's been clear about, all the different contributing factors that lead to crime, that lead to poverty. That, that These are things that we can solve. Yeah. Um, while there may not be one silver bullet that immediately erases all violence and the desire for people to use guns for power and position and territory, whatever, uh, certainly we can make sure that we're feeding people. Certainly we can make sure people are more likely to get employed and in a position when they've turned their lives around to take care of themselves and their families. And um, not enough people are taking the steps, whether it be part district or otherwise, to connect people to those basic services. And I think um, more, more and more, there is an effort to change that. I mean, we're working with some folks at the YMCA to do some things. Uh, working with an organization that provides jobs and workforce development to make sure that people get also this legal assistance they need and, the, and beyond. But that should be the entire focus of, of a lot of this efforts, and rather than just you know talking trash in the back end and hoping to respond to crime after the fact. Exactly. I mean, the more effort and energy put into preventing crime and preventing people from being in a position where that's even considered a real viable option, um, the, the better we'll all be. I mean, uh, you know, there is no anti-crime strategy in, in Lake Forest, right? I mean, there's just such a super saturation of opportunity and things to do um, that that's something that when people make that decision, it's for a completely different set of reasons than when people make, on the south and west sides make those decisions. So what can we do to make sure that people have as many options as possible? And right now, uh, there's not enough being done about that. But at least I will say Mayor Johnson has openly spoken about the need to do something different, and he's been working towards it. And with uh, Martin Luther King and the legacy that he has, you know, and I think the people that truly understand and read, I would recommend reading a letter from Birmingham jail mm. um, in, in addition to hearing the speeches. Because we, you know, I think people hear that in the background. So I played so much of it yesterday. Uh, and it, it was, there's so many historic moments throughout that speech, including uh, talking about the riots in Chicago. And he, and he talks directly about how, you know, we needed to provide opportunities, jobs, and education, and instead Congress came up with an anti-riot bill, yeah. right, which is completely the antithesis of what he was trying to accomplish. And it's very hard, and that's why we I'm so proud to work with you and, and carry on the legacy of MLK and Joan talking about, uh, you know, the call is to volunteerism. That's, that's the way to honor his legacy the most. And then to see people talking about how, you know, well, he was, uh, you know, he, uh, just... 
the complete turnaround and seeing so many like Governor Abbott, for example, quoting him like what it's. I'm sure they all. Why? Why even bother? Why? Why even give us lip service when you're completely doing everything that is in contrast and and, and really unholy when it yeah. comes to what Martin Luther King Jr. spoke about and taught and taught stood for. Yes, and it's interesting when people choose to evoke the name of someone who they actually don't agree with, um, like Jesus. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> like, Jesus disagrees with me. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think that's what makes politics so easy to kind of disengage from and just yeah. and just look at it as it's just a farce because um, when you know people are quoting Jesus, according to Dr. King, when they don't actually stand for any of the principles or any beliefs that are, are expressly articulated and very clearly representative of what they believed in, it's it's enough to make you kind of get sick. And uh, But at the same time, you see other people saying, oh, well, this person's aligned with Dr. King, so so there's, it does work on some folks. Yeah, so, it does. And it's so you understand now the risk reward of kind of assigning yourself, you know, a quote from Jesus, whoever. That's just it's, it seems to be worth the risk uh, for a lot of politicians because that's that's common. They have no shame. And it's 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 disrespectful, of course, and blasphemous in many ways uh, for folks who are believers, but. Politics isn't about any of that stuff. It's, it's about victory at all costs, and that's certainly something people will to sacrifice whether or not they have the moral character to be consistent with what they say. Yeah, I I agree. We were we were talking we were talking a little bit about uh, um, Nikki Haley. I mentioned in the last hour that uh, there was a voter who was interviewed. Uh, the MSNBC uh, reporters are you know on the ground in New Hampshire. The their primary will be next, or their caucus. And what, do they do a primary or a caucus in New Hampshire? Primary. Primary. So that'll be next week. And so they were trying to understand, and you know, see, it, you know, they were asking people who are you going to vote for, which, yeah. which is, you know, I loved some of the New Hampshire folks. Like, basically, I'm not going to answer you. you yeah, know? Right, like, right. And then one woman, like, was you know, bowling, turned around, you know, and she's like, "What?" and like cussed at the, at the 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 reporter, and uh, told the reporter that she's a liberal. Oh, you want to talk politics? And, and so the reporter was like. Uh, are you? But are you voting next week in the in the Republican primary? She goes, "Yeah, I'm going to vote for Nikki Haley," even though she says she's a liberal, and no follow up questions. No, no. So as a liberal, and you made a good point because she didn't say she was a. De- oh, my husband did. She didn't say she was a Democrat. She said she was a liberal. So, you know, my question then would have to be, and the reporter did not follow up, which is, so what makes you a liberal? Yeah. What. what what are the you know I know what makes I know what I believe makes me a liberal, which is I mean at the top of my list are, are fighting for labor rights, fighting for women's autonomy, fighting for protecting our environment and working towards a cleaner cleaner air clean water, which you know that should be like the foundation of everything. If we can't at least protect the air that we breathe and the water that we drink, that seems you're not free if you are exposed to harmful chemicals and, and, and the people in your community are getting sick. Um, those, right. is, those are the things I believe. I believe in, in uh, voter access. Did you, see, I'm sorry. <laughs> did you see, have you, been, up have you seen the Iowa caucus? Like I know I've known like for years, like in the back of my mind, but because now it's so intense. Have you, have you been in the Iowa caucus or watched the, the footage of I've it? I've seen footage. I haven't been personally. So these are people that were screaming about our friends down in Georgia, right? Like yeah. she, she, she they, oh, it's a flash drive. Those are those they're they're trying to hide votes and stuff and it was like a piece of gum or a mint something mm-hmm. right between Roxy and her mom yeah is that her name I can't remember the names <laughs> uh, but uh the, and with that suitcase and, and like dragging these women, putting their lives in danger mm-hmm. and here they are in Iowa in a gymnasium passing around a high V 
paper bag, grocery bag, with a piece of paper, like writing down the, the you know who they're voting for. Like, I'm sorry, what? This, yeah. is, this is voting integrity. No IDs. Just apparently, if you're white, they assume that you're there for the right reasons. That's right. You just, you just roll <laughs> with what? it. You live here? Oh, it doesn't matter. Just put something in the bag for me. Well, that's the thing, too. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, because Nikki Haley, in one of her interviews, said, or I think it was Nikki, or was it uh, DeSantis' wife, said, hey, you don't necessarily have to live in Iowa to vote in the caucus. Right? So, is there any accountability for this moment? Because it ultimately, it may not matter. It hasn't mattered in every election. But it gives Trump this this momentum, this wind in right. at his back. Right. And yeah. it scares people around the world because they see these like <laughs> when, when the guy who's, you know, a coin flip from going to prison or not is, is you know, winning 50 percent of the vote. And, and when the most important states in the primary, it's 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 enough to give you pause. There's no question. Oh, my God. All right. Let's take a break here. We have a phone call, a phone, a phone call uh, to take when we come back. Uh, if you want to join us, 773-763-9278. That's the number to call and join our conversation. More in a moment with our guest, our, co- co- our guest co-host, Todd Belcor, the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. Go to socialchange.site, S-I-T-E. More in a moment. I should probably push this button. Okay. Alexa, play WCPT. WCPT from TuneIn. Hi folks, I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company and I sell progressive beer like Biden beer, which is inoffensive and not bitter, and Extinct Elephant, a moderate red ale. Because you know those moderate Republicans seem to be going the way of the dodo. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to keep Wisconsin blue and drive the MAGA cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. To keep track of the good trouble we're making in Wisconsin and where to buy our beer, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our website, MonacoBrewingCompany.com. And drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We are driving it home, meaning uh, in whatever way you want to interpret that. We're uh, driving home with you. Maybe you're in the car or we are uh, driving home our point. And uh, that is that facts matter. The truth matter. The the actual words of the Constitution matter. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how things uh, turn out with the Supreme Court, too. Yeah. Uh, Steve from Chicago is calling. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind? Hey, Patty. Uh, two things. Um, first, to, to chime in on that uh, person in New Hampshire, maybe she's really a liberal. Maybe she's a Republican who wants to give Nikki Haley a sheen of respectability. Right. Um, and maybe and maybe in her community, she really is the liberal because she <laughs> That's a good point. Is, is OK with having black people in the movie theater and letting women wear pants. There you go. That's you know, fair. So it's all it's all it's all Relative. a continuum again. It's that whole thing of be careful of labels. Be more interested in. So how do you feel about this issue? Yes, yes I agree. No, black yeah. or white, up or down. Yeah. Um, and that's what and I the wish, other thing I wanted to chime. But but I wish oh, the no, reporter. But I wish the reporter had said that. You know what makes her a liberal? Oh, don't you know what I mean? Don't yeah. get me started. On, I know. Yeah, don't get me sloppy. I started on lazy reporters. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also wanted to chime in on your guests. Um, um, listing of the various programs and you know, ways we're reaching out to the community. And I, I think it's very important when we discuss those things, because you always get pushback from the middle-aged white guys. Well, nobody ever gave me anything. Uh. Nobody, I never got it. And I, in, those, in those situations, I always remember, you ever heard of homesteading? Yeah. Literally, the government was like, you want some free land? There was a GI Bill where literally it was like, we will send you to college for free. And then the next two generations, 
got to go for almost free. Right. Um, we, we, will subs- we will subsidize your mortgage because we know black people aren't allowed to buy a house. So it's all of these things where we got to the front of the line because we were white, especially if we were white men, especially if we were white Christian men. Um, and so I feel you, you always have to have to have that in your those quiver, those bows in your quiver to go. No, it's not something that the rest of us haven't already gotten. This right. is leveling the playing field and, and bringing things up to par. Yeah, I agree with you. And actually, I don't know if you if you listened yesterday during MLK's speech uh, on the three evils. He mentions the homesteaders. Mm-hmm. He mentions it when when migrants yeah. and immigrants came to this country, they were given land, uh, you know. And when slaves slaves were freed, they weren't given land or even bread to eat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it wasn't even like coming from behind. It was with someone's foot on your neck, mm-hmm. and then telling oh, totally. t- telling totally. them to like, why can't you do better? Yeah, my, my analogy, or analogy is always imagine a track team and three of the three of the runners are allowed to take off and do as well as they can. And the other two, you literally stand and, and trip them every time they start to run. Yep. And then at the end of the and then at the end of the week, go, well, why didn't you do as good as them? I'm not tripping you now. Like, yeah, it's just you, you held me back for half an hour. Yeah, no. that's a really good point. Thank you, Steve. Happy Thanks, New Year. Steve. I don't know if we spoken since the new year began. Do I still have this week to say Happy New Year? Yeah. I think so. All right. Yeah. I think you. I think you have until February first. Okay, because I'm still getting it wrong on, on documents when I put the year, the dates. Yeah, <laughs> still getting it wrong. So until I get it yeah. right, it's still a happy new year. Thanks, Steve. Have a good night. All right. Have a good night. Thanks, Take Steve. care. So let's see. Can we check in with Lady B? All right. Let me put this up. Anyway, I saw our uh, program, our uh, operations manager, and they're bundling up uh, to leave the station. So I was like, I didn't want to interrupt you guys in the conversation because it's going to be a bit before we see you again, my friend. Hi, Lady B. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, I'm happy and and can't wait right. at the same time. I'm nervous. Sure, <laughs> you know this is it's a lot of work to. to so, do you want? To, so you're having the the reconstructive surgery. Yes, uh, you've had a, a mastectomy, unilateral yes. mastectomy, having had one breast removed to uh, head off the spread of cancer, which was caught at a very early stage, right? Yes, it was caught on a. a, a, a it was stage three. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. It, it, at first they caught it at a stage second, and then it will it progressed. And in it will move to stage three. Okay. And um, and it was a lo- it's a long journey because is it, they had to remove my left side, and uh, but no chemo. Okay. I didn't have to do the uh, chemo. I didn't have to do the radiation. But I do had I do have to take a medication every day for the next five years. Hmm. And then, um, but I. I had a few setbacks. I had a lot of infections, you know. I wasn't I I was doing well then I somehow I caught an infection. I guess I was didn't want to sit still. <laughs> but it's just it, it's me. I'm so used to doing here uh being on top of everything, right? Yeah. So I'm not used to where I, I'm asking my kids, you know, help me or them cooking for me, which they love cooking for me. They don't mind, you know, but it's just You don't like being taken care of, do you? Yeah. I'm She's so used to care of ca- taking so care long. of everyone. That's right. You know, I've 
I've lost brothers through cancer, and I'm so used to taking care of them. My mom's going through the dementia. You know, I'm so used to my oldest daughter. She's autistic, nonverbal, taking care of her, and it's just watching. It 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 was kind of. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. You know, but I I'm I'm blessed. To have my kids supporting, being there for me, stepping up, and the role switching, and here, you guys, everybody here, you know, when there's, I'm, uh, there's days, there's times, not all the time, but there's times I've gotten a little depressed because I'm so used to doing a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and it got to me. But I then I get a text from you or Antonio, Matt, or, you know, somebody who's like, hey, and then I'm, uh, I'm there again. Yeah, you're with us. I mean, the, it, it is it, it is such a and I don't always know, you know, I I, I, I I don't always know what to say. I'm one of those people I'm like this is so hard and it's so yes. personal. But I know so many people want to to make sure that you're okay. They want to yes. know what's going on yes. too because you're part of the family. Yes, and, and I also don't want to push you either. So we'll, we will definitely check in with you. And you can always call when you're recovering. So this is going to be for both breasts. They're going to be doing surgery because yes, they're going to do the reconstruction on the left and the reduction on the right. Right. So, um, and because of the past, uh, with the infection, they are keeping me, you know, they're making sure, you know, no infections, no, no, um, no setbacks. I'll I'll be able to go home, you know, and and rest, but they want to make sure and keep an eye on me. Yeah, because otherwise you will do too much. We know we know you don't like to sit still. You're, you're such a powerful person and it means so much to so many people. It's you sitting down and letting people take care of you. It's just you, you start to look at yourself like a burden rather than realize that people are feel blessed to have the chance to do for you what you've done for them. Yes, yes. And I appreciate that. I appreciate everyone. Um ask him about me and I appreciate it. I was like, oh my God, thank you, thank you. You know, when I hear, you know, Judy or Debbie or or uh, uh, people from Arizona, Colorado calling in asking, I love it and I thank you and I appreciate that. I, I uh, uh, Linda Hoffman's Day, I appreciate you guys, everyone. Even Joan, when I was like, had questions, and since she was a medical reporter for right. ABC, right. uh, she, you know, she helped me decide about the, 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 having the muscle from the back move to the front. Right. Hmm. You know, cause I kept getting a lot of flu, and that's where the infections Ugh. started, you know. And and she helped me decide that, and, and I appreciate her that, and, she, and I and I do I really appreciate everyone you know listening to me. Or, we or love hi. you, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. you know, and checking in and calling me and say hi, Lady P. I appreciate that. I do <laughs> that. That brings a smile and joy. Just just a simple hi. I love it. Oh well, well, well you gotta know we love you, Lady B. Thank yeah. you. Of course, yeah. we're going to check on people we love now. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 this, and I wanted to just tell, make sure everyone, 
everyone, please listen to your body. Don't be like me that didn't <laughs> took forever. Listen to your body. Do you feel like you weren't listening to yourself? Like you just- I felt like I I didn't really listen. I it was telling me something, but I didn't really listen until I uh, uh, I went to a friend of mine who does my taxes, uh-huh. and his and his wife was talking to me, and she had cancer, and they came back, and you know, and she had her first cancer twenty fourteen double mastectomy, mm. and she asked me how I was doing. And I was like, uh, I'm okay, you know, and, you know, well, don't forget to do your mammogram. And I said, oh, I'm not, I'm going to, I post, did postpone it, but I'm going to do it next week. I'm, I'm going to call her, do it. My cancer came back. Oh. Hmm. So I'm like, that's when I was like, and this was like towards the end of February and then March, I made my appointment. And that's when. Right. The journey, yeah, yeah, with the so I, I please even it, it, not just women, men to do your physical, do yeah everything. Listen to your body, do your physical. Just have a, a check your uh, check yourself out, you know, because I don't know what's going on that cancer's popping up everywhere. If it's yeah. not breast cancer or a prostate or pancreatic cancer it's just something or you know and i i don't know if it's i don't know if it's because of the covid or i don't know we're also, i don't know we're, we're also getting older so we know yeah more older that, people. Too. Sorry. that too <laughs> that too hey now hey, I just, now. Uh, hey I that just, too i would just but talk. i just want people to check listen yes. to their bodies i agree you know thank you for that you know Thank you, lady. We love you, yeah, Lady B. Love you, lady. Thank you for sharing Thank your story. It's a lot of courage to do that. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a break here, and uh, we're going to check in with our friend uh, JP from KTNF 950 AM in Minneapolis, St. Paul. You have the info, and I think he also has our number if he needs to call in, but I think that it's on the docks. Uh, it's our Lady B. Was behind the glass today. She's going to yeah. leave us for a little bit, but she'll be back. More for this on WCPTA 20 Heartland Signal and KTNF 950 AM in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Joining me in studio is Todd Belcor, the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. Go to socialchange.site, S-I-T-E, and find out how you can help them in their mission to help bring just better opportunities and hope to so many people in our communities across the country. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. Hey there, it's your guy Warren Price from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200. That's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, our guest co-host today is Todd Belcourt. He's the executive director and co-founder of Social Change. Go to socialchange.site, that's S-I-T-E, and support their mission in the communities across the country, really doing so much great work. And I'm so excited to introduce our next guest. Uh, You know, we have been... uh so proud to be a part of the KTNF 950 AM family. And joining us is the host of This Queer Book, Save My Life. JP, how are you doing today, my friend? JP. 
I am very well. Thank you for having me. This is a treat. Oh, no, I'm, I'm excited. I, I So tell us a little bit, because when I was growing up, and for example, I, like in, in college, I, I graduated from the University of Illinois in 1993. And, you know, like I, I had some cultural experience with, you know, there would be sort of a hint at a, at a lesbian relationship or, or a homosexual relationship. and But I had friends who never talked about it, never confided in me. But I know now that, you know, I see my friend Tom, who's, you know, he and his husband are traveling around the world. Like we knew, but we didn't know because we didn't talk about it. I don't remember there being very many books uh, that people could turn to and see themselves reflected. Tell us a little bit about your journey uh, and, and now creating this podcast and these shows for people, for yourself and others. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of, of literature in the 20th century, I would say, particularly like in that 70s, 80s, and 90s. We were just starting to see a big proliferation of books there. And for me, you know, growing up, that was, you know, the same thing. There wasn't a lot of books to look to to see myself represented in. And so when we started to see all of these book bans start happening Ugh. across the country, I got very concerned because I knew the value of these books and I knew how impactful it would be, particularly for, you know, kids and you know, from elementary school up to high school to see these books pulled off the shelves was really um, heartbreaking. And so I, you know, we all know that book bans are bad, but I wanted to get into what are these books doing for folks? And so I wanted to create a show where a queer person could come on and talk about the really impactful, even life-saving features that a particular book has for them and really get into the, how did they find this book? What did it mean? What actually changed in their life? What were they able to do or to say that was different after reading this book? And then as we were developing the show, I thought, wouldn't it be great if we brought the author on as well to talk about what did it take to write this book? You know, what, what was the publishing process like? How did your life change in writing this book? And so the show was born, This Queer Book Saved My Life. And so now uh, we do shows, we bring in the guest, and sometimes the authors, right, aren't available because they've, you know, they've passed on. Um, but it's really been amazing to, particularly for me, to have the reader be in conversation with the author and to just kind of watch that moment of, you know, really kind of sometimes really tender moments where they can share this life experience because they're kind of talking about the same things. So that's our show. That's fantastic. I was, like I said, I was trying to think of when you say that there weren't m many books, and it, it, immediately I forgot there was one I did read in college, and, it, and it, I don't think it pops up as uh, in queer literature, maybe specifically. There's a book by Marge Piercy called Gone to Soldiers about World War II, and it was a fr mm. I, and now I just remember it's the first time I ever I ever read just in a, in a just, just part of like very matter of factly in all these lives. It's it jumps around in different parts of history of World War II, like the French Resistance. But in particular, there was a the it was the the uh, wasps, which was a all women uh, branch of the Air Force. They used to ferry planes and there was a, a relationship between oh, wow. two, two women. And I was like, oh, and like it was just like very And I, it's one of my favorite books of my yeah. entire life. And in, in, in the sense that it, they were just telling the story, just it was very matter of fact. It wasn't right. going out of its way. And, and I think that I think for anybody and, not, and for 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 people who want to see themselves, but also for people who should just it should just be natural like they love each other that's it right yeah. for anybody mm -hmm. 
anyway, that's Absolutely. my that was my first my first experience of, of literature. I think uh, of reading. I highly recommend Gone to Soldiers. Uh, so when you when you talk to to authors, uh, are there authors who you know were in in you know launching this their storytelling? Uh, you know, there has to be a, a fear of like putting even before book bans started or this hostility uh, towards uh, gay writers. Do, do they have stories about that that moment of like, am I really doing this, and, and am I going to am I going to get published? The kind of there's different obstacles, aren't there? Yeah, the, I think it's you know obviously the publishing industry is very wide and varied. So you know the the, the stories have no one's told the same story twice. Uh, you know we had one author on um, there who said you know it's like it takes my books ten years to get published, oh, uh, and she's like every word. single one it takes ten years. And then we have some authors that come on and they're like. It was super easy. I pitched the book, an agent picked it up, we got it published, the whole thing went so smoothly, I loved it, you know. I think the thing that's gotten me is when there are stories of an author talking about how another LGBTQ either agent or editor told them to shelve the project. Mm. That it wasn't going to be, you know, the, and, I'm, and it just made me wonder, like, how much of that internalized you know, queer phobia or heterosexism was happening that even, you know, what should have been a queer ally championing the book was hesitant about it or even advising, like, mm, I wouldn't move forward with this project. So I think that we've seen all kinds of, of stories. One that really sticks out for me, though, is Alison Bechtel. She was a cartoonist in the 90s, a lot of, you know, queer newspapers. And she wrote her memoir, I guess, drew her memoir. It was a graphic memoir, uh, Fun Home, that ultimately was turned into this, like, musical that won the Tony Award. And so she's gone from, like, on the, I don't want to say fringes, on the margins of the publishing industry, right, with publishing a lesbian cartoon, to mainstream, you know, best-selling graphic memoir, wins the Tony Award, and now she's watching her book banned across the country. Uh. And I just, I remember asking her, I said, I don't, you know, can I ask you, how are you processing this? And she said, I'm not. (laughs) It was so, she's like, I don't even know what to say about Mm. this. It's so frustrating and so shocking and it makes all this progress feel so fleeting. And she's like, I know that isn't a lot of comfort to your listeners. Yeah. But I just appreciated how honest she was with it because it can be very, I think it is very shocking for folks who we've seen so much progress happening right in the States to now suddenly having it kind of pulled back and pulled out from underneath us is very, and we saw with, you know, with Roe v. Wade, like our rights aren't guaranteed. They can be taken away. And so I think how do we find different ways to, to put that fight forward is really important. And I think for me, you know, some people talk about books or films or TVs being like an escape And I've never really resonated with that because for me, books have been a place where I've been able to feel something that I'm not allowed to feel at home or Mm. I'm not allowed to think about, you know, at school or whatever. And so for me, when I think about the value of these books, I'm like, this is creating a space for for us to feel something, to think about something that we're we're maybe not allowed to do in our in our day to day lives. And so I think it's anything that I can do to lift up these books, to lift up these stories. Uh and our hope is with the show that someone will listen, whether that's a queer person or an ally, and hear a story and go, Oh, 
oh, that's what that's like. You know, what that's what that's like to live through. I got to read that book or I want to give this book to a queer person right in my life, whether that's a, you know, a child or a friend or a niece or nephew or, you know, whatever. So that's, our, I think, our goal with the with the show is to really kind of create those spaces for folks to to be in community and to be able to think and, and feel through things that maybe we're not often given the spaces to do so. Again, we're talking to uh, J.P. Dabragosian. Did I say that correctly? You did. <laughs> you did a fantastic job of putting that in phonetically for me, and I, I really appreciate it because I, I got real nervous. I was telling Todd, I'm like, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say your whole name because, one, we all deserve to be addressed with our names. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I appreciate that. And he is the host of This Queer Book Saved My Life. You can go to thisqueerbook.com as well as the, the queerarmenianlibrary.com. Uh, can you tell us a little bit you know, about your background? Because I, I, I'm so fascinated and so thrilled that you're doing this work and, and helping so many people as well as, uh, you know, shining a light on these book bands and how important it is for these stories to be told. Uh, I, I believe you were, you, you've been in broadcasting for a while. Is that right? Yeah, that was my first. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, as a queer person, I had a, yeah, it was an interesting, you know, <laughs> life outside of, of high school, but, um, I did, I kind of uh, fell into broadcasting, as it were, and I loved it, and I was working in broadcast journalism, and I worked for an NBC affiliate in Northwest Lower Michigan for eight years, and then I worked for uh, a station owned by Tribune. Uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a Fox affiliate, but everyone, every time I say that, people are like, you worked for Fox News? I was like, no, 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 I worked for, you know, it was a, it was a Fox affiliate, you know, but... Anyway, I worked there for a year, so about 10 years, all told, in in broadcast journalism uh, before I moved into higher education and working in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space within higher ed. And then also a stint working for uh, LGBTQ health equity, but that was still in an education space where I was working with providers and health insurance companies and clinics and medical academic degree programs in Minnesota, trying to help them understand the queer healthcare experience and what that, what that looks like. I feel like we each, you, me, Todd, I know our producer, Lady B, I, th- I feel like there's so many people like us who, uh, you know, it's not that we took what, what where we were for granted, I, I, but sometimes I feel like where we, you know, the, what, what's that story about the frog in the water if you turn up the heat slowly, mm. uh, right? I, 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 didn't, mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize how vulnerable our rights were and, and our access to the truth was. Yeah. You know, when, when we talk about banning books, I mean, right there, I, I, it's it is always uh, a move to control people and to diminish uh you know communities that have already been through so much uh it, it is and i'm sure that the conversations that you have with authors you know there's that there was that moment right we had that moment when the supreme court uh decided on on marriage and, and mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean do you, did you get any inklings of this i mean even before you know, Trump won because I, I saw it in the last few years of Obama's administration that there was all this vitriol and, and so much hatred. Yeah. But the acceleration under Trump, you know, whether it's a uh, you know drag queens and reading books or, or uh, obviously as you mentioned, abortion rights, it, it is startling when we think how how fast this happened. Don't you? Yeah. I mean, who was it a few years ago? What presidential candidate? I think it was, it was John Edwards. That was like we live in two Americas. 
And I felt like under the Obama administration, we were creating two Americas as it related to queer rights. And there was, there was my lived experience, like in, in, and my own network of found family and chosen family that was advancing and we saw all these rights happening. And even though we lived in terror every, every June for what the Supreme Court was going to do, you know, were they going to screw up our lives? Were they going to advance our rights? And, but then at the same time, like with my, you know, family and, and the conservative um, side of, you know, that family, it, it, was, it was getting worse. You know, and so even in my own life, I was seeing the backlash happening and how people were entrenching and how ugly it was, you know, it was becoming and, and led to a lot of estrangements. And so, you know, it, it now when I, you know, look at particular areas, I look at outstate Minnesota and the work I was doing there around LGBTQ health equity. When we look at the download numbers from the podcast and, and see who is listening, and we, we can't tell like individual numbers, but we can tell trends, right, in geographic space. And, and to see all these little outstate communities tuning in is really important because I, I know what's happening out there, and, it's, and it can be very, very ugly. And, you know, and again, even to talk about this kind of two Americas, we have all these book bans, but then over the past four years, we've had record breaking LGBTQ fiction sales, like off the charts. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, how do we hold these two things in our heads? You know what I mean? Where, and like with Alison Bechtel, you know, your work is winning a Tony award and you're being banned across the country. Like we see all of these massive sales happening. And then at the same time, we're watching books being banned and it's, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. And I think, you know, it gets difficult when you see one political party who puts stripping queer rights and trans rights away as their number one legislative priority. And on the, you know, on the flip side, on the other side of the aisle, that's not their top priorities. And so it creates this imbalance mm -hmm. for queer people where we're, you know, having to deal with these fights and this legislation and the other side of the aisle is on our side. I mean, clearly, but they're not organized to respond as quickly as we need them to respond, mm. right, in the, in the moment. And so it is, it, it is this weird, weird moment that we're living through right now. Yeah. And I wonder if part of that is, is, you know, Democrats just going, well, they're just, you know, they're just doing this for show and this is their, their topic of the moment. But the topic of the moment has, we've seen over and over again, dominated elections, right? I mean, immigration has come up over and over and over Absolutely. again. Now they seem, they just have found a way to really uh, divide Democrats. Uh, and that was, a, it's a conversation for another time as far as like what's happening with migrants, uh, you know, being sent to Chicago, New York, and uh, and dividing mm -hmm. you know people of color and Democrats, uh, and I wonder if it, it, there's almost like a, a, a cavalier attitude of people going, well, you know, the bathroom that's not it's not a big enough topic for me to take on. I've got other issues, and, and you're right, it, it's a human rights issue, and it should be where we're standing and holding the line and organized. Go ahead, Tom. I know. <clears throat> I think there's a, a real element to what you're saying about being taken for granted as well. I mean. Um, this is about people's existence. You know, this is about people's identity, about mm -hmm. who people are fundamentally. And if, if a party or a person or a representative can't recognize the, the extreme urgency associated with that, then it, that's a real problem. I know um, we have social change along with a bunch of other organizations went down to 
uh, Fort Lauderdale to engage in a, a, a march called We the People to make sure that as there's a cavalcade of, of you know, homophobic and, and, and racist and, you know, anti-education policies coming through in Florida, um, you know, not even thinking about party, but just the fact that these are actually inhumane policies and these are, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as vile as they come. Uh, we have to come together no matter what your background is, if you believe in human rights. So I think, um, I think it's really important that you flag that, that uh, the issues that maybe impact people most dearly are, are the issues we also need to recognize that's where allies are supposed to really stand up and, and be in, in, in community and really fight alongside people and not wait until it's so urgent where um, people are being chased out of town. And it doesn't feel like we're that far from that, and we can't wait for it to get to that point before we all of a sudden stand up and hold hands and do what we need to do together to hold the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is such an important conversation. Uh, what do you have coming up on this week's uh, show, and where can people find the show? I, I know that you're on KTNF 950 AM as well as all your shows are available on thisqueerbook.com, and more information and books available at queerarmenianlibrary.com. Uh, queer what do you have coming up this week that you'd like to highlight? Well, yes. So every Saturday at 2 p.m., we air uh, The Square Book Save My Life on AM 950 in Minneapolis. And then afterwards, we air episodes of The Gailey Show, which is another episode, or I rather show that my uh, company produces, which is about focusing on LGBTQ culture and entertainment in Minnesota and beyond. Um, and uh, this week, we are talking with uh, Gerard Cabrera, who is a novelist, and we're talking about a classic, actually, of LGBTQ literature. It's called The Magic Mountain by Tomas Mann, and we called the episode When You Go Up the Mountain, You Don't Know What You're Going to Find, and it's really about you know pursuing truth and your authentic selves versus having to live with the, you know, not only the mediocrity, but the, the status quo. That's the word I'm looking for. Like, mm-hmm. how do you, do you go after being your authentic self or do you find a way of accepting and navigating the status quo? And so it's a really, it's a really interesting conversation also because Gerard is a novelist. So to ask him then how, you know, the magic mountain impacted his own work is a really, is a really, um, it's a treat to hear that. And I love it when, when we get authors that are able to come on the show and be guests to talk about how these books that save their lives shape the stories they tell and pass those themes along. Um, so you can listen to that on Saturday. We also drop new episodes every other Tuesday. And you just search for This Great Book Saved My Life on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, mm-hmm. you can find us at amm50radio.com or thisgreatbook.com. Excellent. Thank you yeah, so much, absolutely. JP. It's JP Derbogosian, and we're so thrilled to have you on the show. We'd love to check in with you next month if you're available and willing, my friend. Oh, absolutely. This has been so nice. Thank you both for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. I'm sorry. I, I, it was, it's been sort of scattered over the last week or so, so I appreciate your patience and, uh, and your generosity of time and insight. So thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. Let's set it up. Talk to you soon. Thank you, JP. Thanks, JP. Have a good evening. Thank you. I know they're cold Bye-bye. in Minnesota, too. Bye-bye. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break here. We'll wrap up and say good evening to everybody. We'll be back with uh, Todd Belcour from Social Change. Go to socialchange.site, S-I-T-E. More after this. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Todd, these two hours flew by. 
Yeah, they really did. We got. We only have two minutes. Uh, we've got a text. We got a couple texts I want to get to. Earlier, we were talking about uh, reporters interviewing voters in Iowa, uh, and on social media, they put together a, a clip, like a, a compilation of these clips of, of being asked, uh, "Would you rather have four more years of President Biden or a dictatorship under Trump?" And uh, in this clip, I mean, I'm sure. Hopefully, there were people that said no yeah, to a dictatorship. It's edited, only a handful versus. Uh, I know, but there's quite a few, and they're yeah. like, and they are earnest about yeah. <laughs> it. They are <laughs> deep. No, there are no jokes in their voice. No. No, like full-throated, I'd rather have a dictatorship. And somebody texted that the, um, let's see, the, let me see what the, uh, I think the question was not phrased correctly. It isn't elect Trump as a dictator for four years or Biden for a second term. If we elect Trump as a dictator, he will never leave because dictators never, yes, I agree. That's and that fair. No, no, no. Yeah. And, and that's what, I think that those people, like one guy said, you know, I was, you know, we, we just need a, we, he literally was using the firm hand, you know, things have got under control in this country and we need a dictator. It doesn't matter how long he's there for. And he, this guy used himself. He's like, you know, I used to be, uh, you know, a troublemaker and, you know, I had a firm. And, and like, there's a whole book called "Don't Think of an Elephant" about the language of conservatives, and that they hmm. do they want authority, they want authoritarians. Huh. They're drawn to that. Yeah, I mean, the fact that having a president for the rest of your existence is something that people could be okay with—that's that's not patriotic. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be mindful <laughs> of my language. But well, that's George Washington refused dangerous. to be. You know, he wanted it to. He wanted to be elected. He didn't want to be appointed. He didn't want to be anything that smacked of a monarchy. Yeah. And here we are, just yeah. crapping all over it. Well, uh, some people believe in the Constitution. Some people say they believe in it. So mm-hmm. you have to be careful of the difference between the two. Exactly. Uh, yeah, you do. Tr- uh, Todd, it's been a pleasure having you back. Always an honor. You can, anytime. You. I, I feel like I need to keep inviting you. If you want to come back every week, but I know your schedule is very busy. Uh, it's we'll really figure. an honor to be here with you, your guests, right. and of course. Thank you. Thank you. Is there something else I can help with? Sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens when I don't bring my phone? Why do you bring it up? It was, uh, <laughs> I was trying to bring up my... I'm sorry, Siri. No, I wanted to read some of the text. Thank you for the kind words to Lady oh, B. Sure. Uh, get well soon, Lady B. Uh, we have a, one of our, our listeners is a prostate cancer survivor, and they wish you the very best from Lauren. Also, uh, Lady B, may Lady B be blessed by the universe with perfect healing. So a lot of mm-hmm. well wishes for Lady B. I know that uh, you'll be back soon. We love you so much, Lady B. Love you, Lady Many B. Kisses. Bye, everybody. We'll uh, have another. We'll, we'll be we'll be here again tomorrow. Dan Schaefer is going to be checking in with us. Uh, he's moving to Wednesdays at six o'clock. So Dan Schaefer sh- sh- joins us tomorrow, as well as Jess Piper, the Dirt Road Dem. She is uh, going to be on with us at six thirty. Okay. So looking forward to that conversation. Oh, on here. We're trying to we're trying to work all the all the the uh, all the flippable states. Coming all in the hot in twenty twenty four. I'm telling you. I'm saying we've got a lot Happy of work to New do. New Year, indeed. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all the way till February first. Well, Have a good night, everybody. Mike Creeps up next with Devil's Advocates.